Welcome to Coming Along Nicely. We're two brothers, Rich and Tim, who recently went back to school. Every week, we're discussing one thing we're learning in our classes, and we want to invite you to come along with us. I think that helps you write better characters because that is how people function. Zero to 18, you've taken a pretty unique path, but also as a counselor, that's the secret sauce to really helping people. There might be a thousand right jobs. You get to like operate the way that you're wired to operate. Hey, I knew your father. Your father was a great Jedi. But I guess, you know, we're we're both on our break right now. So we just want to talk about, you know, our last semester in review. What was the, you know, our biggest takeaway or the thing that kind of stuck with us or a couple things. Um, Tim, what were some stuff? What were some stuffs? What were some stuffs <laughs> that stuck out to you uh, in this semester uh, that you just finished up? Um. Yeah, so I think probably the I, I was thinking about this before we jumped on Um, the whole the advanced fiction writing class has been probably a pretty just monumental course for me this semester. Uh, a because I've started writing fiction and that was like just not something that I ever would have thought I would do and it's it's still probably not like the main thing I want to do but it's it's something I want to do so there's that but beyond that um I kept or I I find myself I keep coming back to uh something we talked about one of the weeks I think I don't remember which episode it was but it was about how the characters have like each character has a lie and a ghost and their motivations and all that sort of thing. Um, and I think if you remember, we sort of talked about like the connections to counseling. Yeah. Uh, I think we related to, we've related it to narrative therapy, I think. Yeah. Like narrative based. So without, without trying to, Something about that, like I, I just keep, I keep catching myself thinking about my own actions and my own life in terms of, you know, like, okay, well, what is my motivation for this? Or what, what lie do I believe that's making me want to do this? And yeah, it's kind of just like shorthand for it's, it's, it, it helps me. I don't even want to say it helps me. I'm cognizant of myself, like evaluating myself as a character. Um, actually, that's not even it either. I, so I, I'll, I'll say it this way. Like I've always been a very, I guess, reflective person. Uh, that's sort of the positive way of saying it. Like I, I'm always in my head a lot. I'm thinking a lot. And mm-hmm. something about going through the the process of, uh, of writing and crafting another person in their lie and their ghosts and their like underlying stuff going through that practice has kind of just been like a, a cheat code, I guess. So I'm not any, I'm not any more thoughtful than I was before, but it's sort of just like shorthand language. Like I can, I can process the same amount of decisions 
so much more clearly and like efficiently, I guess. And so it's just been really odd. Uh, yeah, you keep you keep talking about cheat codes and the benefit of it. Like, do you have like some meat to to really, I guess, give some bones or flush that out? Like how it's been advantageous? Yeah. Well, so this isn't exactly this isn't isn't specifically a lie or anything that that really relates to uh, exactly what we learned in the class. But like the example I can think of is um, I tend to procrastinate certain projects a whole lot. And ironically, it's some of the things that I think are like the most important to me, you know? So Hmm. in general, I'm a person who, I'm always working on something. I'm always doing something. I'm like all the way on or all the way off. So it's not that I've ever lacked motivation or anything, but what a lot of people might not see is that instead of working on, you know, music or working on writing or working on like my two or three big things, I'll procrastinate though. Like I'll, I'll, I'll be like, Oh, I'll, I'll hit that later. And I'll find something else to do. And it's things that need done, but I'll find something else to do. And so that is Mm -hmm. something that I've always done, but tying it into what we're talking about, like I've just recognized it so clearly. And honestly, it's like every time I have that impulse right behind it is the impulse or the recognition of like, Oh, Tim, you're doing it again, you know? And so it wasn't, it wasn't any like counseling work or it wasn't any deep reflection on my part. It was just something about writing other characters. I just realized like, that's my thing is I will pick the the fourth most important thing to work on instead of like the number one most important thing. So that's like an example. If that, if that is helpful at all. No, I think it's helpful. Like, so now what you're saying is after kind of flushing out some of that stuff for fictional characters, you know that when you have really important things to do, like you'll default to three or four. And so you kind of just like prevent yourself from doing that now. Like you have one additional filter in your head to keep that from happening. Yeah, I think that it's kind of like I don't have to believe my own lie. If that makes sense, because if I was choosing to just find busy work to do, I would always justify it in my head. I would never say I'm going to put off doing something that's really important. I would say, oh, well, I'll do this little thing and then I'll do that tomorrow. And so I guess it kind of is a lie. And so, yeah, it's just like I've kind of removed that from me and I like witness myself doing it, I guess. No, I think that makes sense. Sorry, I'm processing it in my head and I'm like, I can't process it quietly because that's not how podcasts work. (laughs) Come and sit quietly with two brothers for an hour. Um, No, I think that makes sense. Um, As as we're talking about this, I, I can't sit quietly. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the thing is, it's like really help. It's been really helpful for me. Uh kind of having this recognition, but at the same time, 
the closest example I have to it is uh, like the closest connection I can make is Abed from Community. How he like sees himself as a character <laughs> in a TV show and he describes his whole mm-hmm. world that way. And so it's been really helpful to me. But when I think about Abed, I'm like, well, maybe this is not like the rabbit hole I'm wanting to go down. No, I think it's I think it's helpful. Like I said, it reminds me a lot of of like narrative therapy and like. Kind of relates a little bit to what I was going to talk about for myself anyway. Like, I think. I think that's why you're being taught, hey, like when you're writing, when you're writing characters, think of like the lie about the world or themselves that they which I don't know if this is exactly how it works. I'm just kind of free balling right now. Like think about the lie that they believe and how that influences their life. Um, because I think that helps you write better characters because that is how people like function. Um, and I guess kind of if I can hop a little bit into what I was going to talk about. Yeah. I think that's the thing I really appreciate this semester the most because I learned both the classes I took was like addictions in therapy and then also – well, wait, I took addictions and therapy. I believe I took a multicultural class and then I took abnormal psychology. Um, in, in addictions, we learned about, you know, why people are addicted to things um, and how that affects them. We learned in abnormal psychology about like, you know, different ways that the brain works in a unhealthy fashion not like morally unhealthy, but just like actually physically unhealthy. And then in my multiculturalism class, we learned about different, you know, growing up in different places um, and how that affects someone, like how your culture and your community like affects how you live. And I think that relates to kind of what you're talking about. Like people, it's, there's not just some like flat and that's been helping me in counseling is that there's not just some flat understanding um, which I know, I know this is basic empathy and putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, but like, even when it comes to like addictions and even when it comes to like abnormal psychology, understanding that people are doing those things for a reason, like really helps you one, to be able to get behind your client and like work with them and have empathy for them. And two, like be able to help them and dissect why these things exist. Um, I know when it comes to like multiculturalism and different cultures, like we're able to kind of understand like, oh yeah, you're raised in a different city. You were raised in a different culture. You were raised in a different like environment than me. And we're kind of more able to understand in those situations, how that would affect a person's life. But with like abnormal psychology, so like bipolar disorder, for instance, Um, if you're working with a client who's bipolar, you might be surprised when all of a sudden maybe a client doesn't want to take medication to eliminate their bipolar disorder. Like if anything, they almost seem to want to have like the manic state that comes with a bipolar disorder where you have like a lot of energy because that the quality of life that they get during that manic state, the energy, the creativity, the like 
check off all the boxes, go getter attitude to them is is worth it, especially when compared to their down states that they're in most of the time. Um, and if you don't, if you're not able to understand that, like, that's not just a choice that they're making. Like it helps you understand the client and the person uh, on the other side of you more deeply so that you can like really help them. I don't want to say help them understand themselves because that makes it seem like you have all the answers, but you're kind of like discovering this person's like to use your words, their ghosts and their lie with them, which is like an honor to be able to understand that person on a deeper level. But also as like a counselor, that's like the secret sauce to really helping people. Um, Like with addictions, if you, I think I've mentioned this before. Like there's, there's two different ways that like people kind of look at addictions. Um, like, so if someone comes into addictions therapy, uh, there's like a philosophy of thought that like, Hey, we need to solely treat this addiction. Um, and if we don't treat the addiction first, then like everything else we just, we, we discuss in counseling is kind of moot because the addiction is just going to kind of ruin that. Um, and then there's the other way of looking at it where like, well, the addiction is like an addiction, but like, why does this addiction, like addiction exist? Is this addiction like a coping mechanism? Like, does this person turn to this substance because it's more bearable to deal with the sim like the, the negative side effects of addiction than it is to deal with like the other issues in their life. And if it's not that drastic, like, well, Hey, this person, maybe there's just stressors and they don't have other good coping mechanisms. So this helps them to stress and the addiction is kind of buried in that. That helps you kind of put a target on, like, we don't just need to help this person not do drugs or, like, you know, not drink. We need to help this person establish, which this is kind of like person-centered. I don't think it's person-centered, like, therapy for addictions. Oh, what was it? Was it? I'll have to look it up. But there's, It's not gestalt, is could, it? Go ahead. No, that was that's different. I can't wait to get back into Gestalt. Um, I think it's called community reinforcement therapy, and part of community re like reinforcement therapy um, involves helping the person who is in an addicted state look at everything kind of around the addiction themselves. Like, what are your primary like primary relationships like? Like, there is one survey that's literally like, "Hey, what do you do for fun?" and if this addiction came from a place of not having good stress relief. Like addictions give really good dopamine release. And so they kind of tend to become that person's only like it's the quickest and best way of getting dopamine. So you kind of just keep going back to that and kind of forget or lose enjoyment in other things. So if you're able to understand that this person isn't just addicted because they want to or they lack moral fiber, like if you're helping someone treat an addiction and they keep going back to it over and over and over and over again and you kind of just assume it's because the person's like weak willed, like that's going to that that means that you have kind of already said that there's nothing you can do for your client, but it'll kind of help you, I think. Uh, look, look at me. I'm not even a counselor. I'm over here like it'll help you. I think to all the counselors out there it would really help you to um, I really have formed this opinion well. But from my limited perspective, 
it's helped me to understand when I when I look at addictions in general, like, hey, this addiction exists for a reason. Like this person is doing it because in their playbook, in their head, whether it's conscious or whether it's all just neurons firing, they think that this is helping them to accomplish something, um, which I think after a long ramble goes back to this idea of like the lie in a character, like these lies to them aren't like to the character. These lies are. If I correct me, if I'm getting this wrong. These lies are things that are actually helping the character. Mm. Um, or benefiting the character question mark. Well, actually not quite. Well, I, I guess maybe in their mind, like we, you might be able to look at the timeline of the book and be like, well, no. So, so I think that maybe in a, in a manner of speaking, maybe you could, could frame it that the lie is something that is helping them, but actually the lie is the thing that they have to confront. So in most like traditional, like positive change arc stories at the beginning, this character believes this lie and the climax of the movie is when they choose to believe the truth or when they act on the truth. And so for the purposes of like storytelling, uh, I'm always trying to think of movies, even though I've only seen probably 10 movies in my life, but uh, <laughs> like the story is they have the lie and they come to realize that it's not working. And maybe that's the tie into counseling is probably somebody is coming into counseling for one reason or another saying like, Hey, X like isn't working. Something's not working. Um, yeah. At least, you know, in, in some situations. And so that's like what you have to figure out is what is the lie or the pattern or yeah. What, what you're saying, the habit, the addiction. Yeah. And I guess I never really understood that that lie is it. it I, I should say it's cool to hear you say the lies kind of in the beginning of the story or they have to kind of at the end of the stories where they get the resolution to like act opposite of the lie because i feel like that's the whole like you said that's the counseling process is helping someone to understand the lie but then even more than just understanding the lie you have to kind of like reframe the rest of your life to let you not go back into it yeah like the only movie example i can think of right now is like star wars like the fourth episode of star wars where i think what is it it's not a new hope Man, I'm really betraying my Star Wars fandom right now. But the episode where like Luke starts on Tatooine and he like meets Obi-Wan Kenobi when he goes looking for the droid like that's the lie there could be like, oh, I'm not special. Like there's nothing special about me. I'm just like a farmer. I want to go fly planes, but I don't think that'll ever happen. And then he gets confronted with like this. Hey, I knew your father and your father was a great Jedi. And the whole book, you see him begin, or the, I guess the rest of the movie, you see him wrestle with like becoming, becoming that great Jedi like his father. Um, but the convenient thing, this sounds terrible to say, the convenient thing that Luke has for a storytelling perspective is that his family gets killed. So he doesn't really have any other reason to stay. 
Like there's nothing tying him back to the lie of like, well, I'm nothing great. I'm just going to be a farmer forever. Um, and for most people, like even in counseling with addictions, you might have someone coming in because they or a loved one has like sent them to counseling for an addiction, but they might not recognize their addiction as like needing to change. And that's where like motivational interviewing would come in, which is a whole brand of therapy based on just helping the client to gain motivation and understanding of how something's like affecting them so that they can change it or want to change it even because unlike Luke, our stories aren't necessarily so easily rewritten. So if you got to help somebody to overcome an addiction, you might have to help them say like, Hey, we got to learn some new coping mechanisms. Hey, we have to surround ourselves with like new friends, new people, um, or hey, we might have to limit access to certain things. Hey, we might have to start some just new like you might still be addicted to something, but you have to go out and start a new hobby so you can like see that there's other things out there that you enjoy to do. Um, I don't know. So I just think that that's kind of something really interesting for me to take with me as I move on is not just to look at my clients as like oh, well, I know exactly what they need to change. They need to change their addiction. They need to change their disorder. They need to change their this. And if I just give them, you know, this knowledge, like that'll help them. But it's it's like way deeper than that. You have to kind of peel back a couple layers to understand that like this addiction actually has a couple layers of things beneath it. And if you kind of poke around and prod in there, that's when you'll get change. Or even like for some, like abnormal disorders, like there's things down in there you kind of have to like poke at and prod at before you can like really see change happen. I don't know. It's just been an interesting semester to kind of think about stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tying it back to at the beginning, uh, sociology, like I think that, uh, you know, if you go back 50 years or whatever, when there was a, nuclear family unit or there mm, there was like a there was like a a quote-unquote normal family um you know there can be all sorts of of disadvantages to a society that has one normal because then you know if you get divorced or if you're widowed or if your parents die or something like anybody who gets pushed out of the normal it's kind of like well sucks for you you know so there's disadvantages to that but the advantage is that a lot of people kind of um a lot of people kind of grow up the same way and they learn the same things and have the same experiences so my my only reason i'm saying any of this is to bring up that like I think that is the value of counseling right now is that, you know, we don't really as a society have one way that one path that you take, you know, from birth to adulthood, uh, a ton of people have different, you know, family structures and cultures, like you said, and all sorts of things. And so counseling, I think is super I think it's only going to be more valuable going into the future because it's like, you know, from zero to 18, you've taken a pretty unique path 
most most likely. And so you might need unique counsel, and that's what counseling is. Hmm. That was kind of something I was talking about with someone this week was like how, you know, there's such a, I feel like a big gap between people who want to go back to like, let's say you're in high school right now and you know that like, Hey, I want to go back to school. I want to keep doing this. I want to do college or maybe you're in a trade and you're like, Hey, I did some classes for trade school. I want to do this, this, and this, but then it seems like there's a big a big gap where people don't fall into wanting to go to school or having a trade and don't really know what their next step is. And that step has always felt so final. Like the transition from high school to whatever you're doing next feels like the last big decision you'll make in your life. Um, But just figuring out some way of helping that age to kind of think through Hey, let's look at the last chapter of your life and what you're good at and what you can do next. It might not be forever, but like whether it's school or work or what, like at least attach some kind of like desire and goal to it so you can not just autopilot through the next couple of years until you eventually figure out what you want to do. Right. Right. Well, like, yeah. And I think that 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 can stem into why there's also so much, you know, anxiety and depression among young people today specifically. Cause like you said, it's always felt that way where at the time when you're 18, like you feel like you're making the biggest decision of your life, but what's, what's different today is that everybody's career is pretty much a version. It seems like of either staring at, your computer all day or staring at a screen all day. And so it doesn't mechanically feel different. True. And so it makes it, even though it's, it's probably the same thing under the hood, like discovering if you want to be a, you know, so, so we're both wanting to be essentially like knowledge workers. And so, Mm -hmm. Yeah, even though it is still the same thing in a sense for young people today, like figuring out what you're good at, what you enjoy, what brings you life and like piecing that together to pick a career. It's like it it seems in a nostalgic way, like it would have been easier back in the day when people were doing more physically and with their hands. And it's like it seems like it would be easier to pick out and spot like, oh, well, that thing I really liked to do. That might just be me looking nostalgically at the past. Well, maybe too, like, okay, so I'm trying to incorporate what we're talking about into like the, the lie type scenario. Like, is it a lie type thing, which it might be a, I might be forcing this, but I'm also making a blanket statement that every person in high school feels this way, which is never going to be true. Um, but is like is part of the issue maybe even like the schooling process itself cuz high school is so much even when you do get choices for what classes you want to take so much of high school is like hey you just need to turn this assignment in and you need to finish these classes and you need to finish this year so that you can be done with high school um 
And so it's so much of like a one-way relationship. Like I show up to school, I get my assignment, I do my assignment, I turn it in. Like I know for me some things that helped me later on, like like doing the announcements at our high school. Like, yes, I was that nerd. For anyone out there who didn't know that, I did the announcements. Um, and I just kind of like learned through a couple other instances. I was good at just talking and being adaptable in front of a crowd. So that that knowledge, like having that experience helped me to pursue like waiting tables, which I know like isn't like a huge career move, but I knew it would be something I would enjoy a little bit and like be good at. And then before I got hired at my other job, like, like doing ministry stuff at church, I was like going to look into doing sales stuff because I was like, I know I have these skill sets and these skill sets will help me. So I wasn't like writing off like, Hey, this is what I want to do with my life. But I was aware of skills I had, but that wasn't because of a class I was in. I was lucky enough to have experiences that helped that helped me see those skills and maybe that's a portion of what the problem is is that like maybe high school doesn't allow someone to see those skills super clearly or maybe you might have people who even don't like i know a big thing for me was i i gave this like speech that i thought was going to be so heartfelt because i was the class president and i had to speak in front of all the teachers and i thought i was giving this really heartfelt speech but they thought it was so funny instead of heartfelt. And so many of the teachers afterwards were like, Hey, you should be a comedian. Hey, you're so funny. Hey, like you do so good speaking in front of people and just having them. I don't think I had any additional skills. I didn't learn a bunch of new skills before I gave that speech, but having someone highlight that helped me to be like, Oh, this is something I could, I could do. I could try. And if you're going through school and you don't have that experience, maybe that's why it kind of seems like, there's such a great big lull in the next step is because I don't think school is built to help people get those experiences. Yeah. No, that's like, you might have like 10 kids in a class who get an A in their history exam. And the, the teacher might say to each of them, Hey, great job. You did really good on your history test. But I doubt that 10 out of 10 of those students are going to be like, I should be a history professor. Cause I got an A maybe one of them will, but the other nine will be like, yeah, it's just a project. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting thought. And I think that with, with the caveat that you and I are obviously a little further down the road than like a high school senior. So we can't project like our self-awareness onto like what it's, what it's like to be 17 or 18. But with that caveat, I think that kind of goes back to what I was saying too, of like, 50 or 60, I mean, definitely 100 years ago, you did what your parents did. And if you didn't, you did like what your uncle or your cousin did. Like you had some close connection, you know? And I think that what you're saying is that today when everything's wide open, school and more specifically maybe the, the people in students' lives aren't always helping them like mine out that information and like connect their own dots of, well, you enjoy doing this. So maybe that means you'll enjoy doing that. Like, I don't think that all has to be counselors per se, but even parents and teachers, uh, like 
the thing I kind of remember hearing, I I don't remember actually anybody saying this literally to either one of us, but the sentiment was always like, you can do whatever you want to do. And that's like a good sentiment, but practically speaking, that doesn't give us anything to work. Right, with. right. Like, like dad was a plumber and he always kind of his vibe was like, hey, you can take over my business if you want. Like he didn't discourage us from that, but he was also like, I don't want to make you do this. And so, so yeah, I wonder if there's anything that we could do to help younger people uh, process. Like you're, I'm surprised to hear you say even that you connected the dots from doing the announcements to uh, waiting tables. Cause I was not anywhere close to even that level of, of self-awareness. Well, I don't think, I wouldn't call it necessarily self-awareness. I think it was more. So like something you said is like things you enjoy, you enjoy doing, like helping them be like, well, you enjoy this. So you would be good at this. I think what really helped was I, I realized I had a skill for communicating. Like I, I somehow put all of that, like the skills I did have, it wasn't just like someone was like, Hey, you're really funny. Oh, I should be a comedian. Um, it was like, Hey, you're funny. You're good at talking. I did the announcements. I realized I had these like people skills. And so I was able to understand the specific skill set I had. And even if I didn't want to wait tables like for forever, I knew I have skills that I can apply in this works, like this sphere of work. Um, if that makes like sense. Yeah. And maybe helping kids to, to understand like that. Cause it, I mean, straight A's on a report card might help someone know you'd be good at school. Like you'd be good at college, but like, what's your skill set? Like you said, what's your passion? How do you apply those things towards a degree? So you're not just going to school. Like you might be good on a computer, but like, what's your skill set? Are you good at editing? Are you good at graphic design? Are you good at administrative things? Like, are you good at organization? Like that, those are things that can kind of help you figure out, even if it's not a career you want to do forever, maybe you go and work as a ditch, like a dispatcher for a lumber yard and you're just like helping organize and send out shipments might not be forever, but if you know you're good at organizing, like organization and maybe even a little good at like talking that helps like limit the field versus like. Just being like, well, I graduated school. I don't really know what my skill sets are. Or, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm rambling at this point. I know it's good. I I finished recently this book that I'll just go ahead and plug, I guess. Um, it's called Working Genius by Patrick Lencioni. Are you familiar with it? Okay. So I'm familiar with the author, but not the book. Yeah, I really liked it. I was actually just showing it to mom and dad earlier. Uh, and it's based around like, so he says that there are essentially six working geniuses and it's kind of, I hesitate to even say this cause I know some people are like not, not 
big into this. It's kind of loosely based on like a personality like assessment. Um, mm-hmm. It's not really. I I really like this one though. Like where I don't like some of them because it's not saying you are this. It's there's six types of work he's saying, and you're probably really good at two of them. You're probably like okay two of them and you probably are really drained by two of them and so the book and like his framework or whatever are are a little more informal but it's it's all of what you're saying but just putting language to it like maybe you Hmm. like you know uh uh well i'm trying to like tenacity is one of them that I mm-hmm. it's one of the ones that I probably am like in the middle with, but tenacity is just like finishing stuff, like get crap done, that kind of person. And I'm not yeah. particularly that way. I know people who for sure are. And for them, it doesn't even matter what they're working on. If they can, if they can accomplish stuff and like check off a list, whereas you and I are probably a little bit more like, ethereal like into if if you're in the middle with that i'm probably on like the low end possibly i can drop a project halfway through and have no guilt yeah yeah the ones because i'll because i'll go on a soapbox about what really matters exactly yeah the my my two that i'm really good at are definitely like up in the clouds for sure which is nothing that you know i didn't know already but yeah for people like us though if that's what you're bent at, that makes it equally as hard as like, you think you have to find the right job. Whereas in reality, it might be you, you can, there might be a thousand right jobs. If you get to use the right skill set, or if you get to like operate the way that you're wired to operate. Yeah. And maybe that's even like, like you had said a while ago with with a large portion of work being so cookie cutter in appearance you go to an office you work on a computer um maybe helping people understand that skill set mentality will be healthier going back to sociology like looking forward just because of how our society functions right now it's not that like you go you work in the field and if not maybe the blacksmith will apprentice you because you've impressed him or maybe Like you'll go and do what your uncle did or maybe you'll move around um, with your family and just find whatever work is around. Like now I feel like work is so modular um, where you kind of just plug things in. I even watched like one. What was it? I watched a like a think piece kind of about how companies will hire in more than they'll promote from within. Like they'll hire out from outside more than they'll promote from within because like the culture, like the work culture right now is like people are going to be leaving at some point. So they'll they'll hire somebody in, get them, and that job will probably be probably be out like not outsourced, but not need anymore. Like the job they're getting hired to do will probably change because of the way the markets are right now and the way jobs are right now. They're like, what's the point of like promoting somebody who's good where they're at when I could just hire somebody who will probably like, they'll probably be gone because the position will change. So like let them come in and then they'll get their raise when they go and work somewhere else for a job that's similar, but different. 
So maybe that skill set will help moving forward if that kind of continues where like everyone needs kind of the same people to do kind of the same thing, but different. So you'll just know, well, my skills are this, this and this. So I should try to fit into this module, which is so dystopian. Man, I feel real encouraged for work moving forward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I I don't even know. Uh, that's the sort of thing that sometimes things seem so inevitable and you look back in history and you're like, how did people not see this coming? And then other times there's Y2K. You know what I mean? Like something feels so inevitable and then you look back and it was just like the dumbest thing you've ever, but okay. So you, you said one thing that did remind me of going back all the way to the beginning of this semester. Um, like you were talking about apprenticeships and stuff. Mm -hmm. So did you know a couple things? First off, the whole story about the library of Alexandria is like probably not exactly what everybody, everybody thinks. Um, what do you mean? Like it getting burnt down or? Yeah. So it actually, it burnt down like four times or it oh. caught on fire four times. None of the four times was it ever like fully destroyed. And the fact that it happened four times over a span of years, you know, not to diminish that it wasn't important that it caught on fire, but it isn't the singular event. Like that's kind of just a, uh, a useful like narrative. It, it, it helps tell the story you know yeah okay but and also, maybe even because it's more story like it's more of a good story that's what we remember yeah exactly and so so what that has to do with apprenticeship why why i thought of it is that's sort of the you know the library of alexandria a, a library that's kind of quintessential greek thought I guess, like knowledge and books and the abstract, mm, mm -hmm. like recording it. And after that, you know, there's a long period of time that's like sometimes called the dark ages. And so anyway, what, what I learned that kind of blew my mind is that the fact that the Romans didn't have all of the same libraries and stuff, you know, it doesn't mean that they didn't have all this knowledge, but in the Roman times, that's when I think apprenticeships started and hmm. or maybe not apprenticeships, but guilds definitely started. So anyway, okay. their knowledge was secretive by design. They didn't want their their uh, tools of the trade, their trade secrets. They wanted to keep them to themselves. And so hmm. that's why you didn't have these giant ornate libraries. It's not that they were all like dunces. It's that they were business people, you know, and they didn't want uh, all of their IP getting stolen. So that's so just like, you it, might be, a, you might be a potter, but you're not gonna, you're not gonna try to teach everyone you're not going to host pottery lessons. Right. Cause you right. want to be the potter. And if you take an apprentice, that's like a big deal. Because that's kind of like a trust thing. I trust to teach you what I know. Yeah, and you kind of had to earn your spot 
to to even get accepted to become an apprentice and so yeah it was it was secretive by design exactly like you said you wanted to be the premier potter or whatever in your area that's interesting because i'm trying to think of so much of what the internet not so much of what the well no so much of what the internet is is just like free knowledge even like if you wanted to i could be like hey i could google right now how do i better blank and they'll be from like top tier specialist talking about how to do it to just like average joes to people who are good at it but aren't good at communicating how to do it like technologically there's just so many different versions of people saying hey here's how to do that thing you want to do um yeah i goofed off and talked about being a beekeeper i could find so much information on how to do that because the internet is so gracious with information yeah, and I wonder for better what, or for worse. <laughs> right. I wonder where that places us in between more Greek or more Roman or if it's like a third new thing, new category. I don't know. Hmm. Were Greeks um were the Greeks really generous with their knowledge? Well I, I don't know. And I know you're not a history guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's such, it would be hard to say because it's even just such a different paradigm that, (laughs) that all of us have access, you know, I mean, that was the thing about the printing press, like thousands or, you know, many hundreds of years later is that it gave the average person access. And so I, I guess the Greeks would be a lot more generous with like the elite few who were entrusted with it, but they were going around town just like talking at the fruit market, you know, like turning over apples and talking about abstract. So they were much more open with it, but yeah, it's kind of hard to compare exactly to today for me at least. Well, even that's kind of like what the, what the pub was and what the coffee shop was was like they used to call them like free universities, at least coffee shops. Coffee yeah. shops were called penny penny universities or something because you could go and you could just hear people lecturing about stuff. Yeah, and they're just they, like drinking coffee. They would uh they would drink the coffee out of saucers, like really like mini plates essentially. Hmm. And so uh yeah, just recently, oh man, who was it? One of my, one of somebody I know was drinking coffee out of a saucer, uh, for much more reasons of like being a bachelor and clean. not having, yeah, not having their <laughs> life together, and so everybody was dogging them, but I was able to defend them by saying that that's what, uh, yeah, they used to do in the public square. That was the original coffee hmm. serving utensil hey everyone hope you guys enjoyed this episode thanks for listening uh, we host this episode and all of our episodes over at our Substack, coming along nicely and tim also does some writing over there as well it, i'm a little biased but it's pretty great you can find him at as it were or at nicely.substack.com we'll see you guys in the next one